Okay, so two weeks ago, we started looking at Jesus' temptation in the desert. All right, so what I'd like to do, we did two weeks ago, then we had Mother's Day last week, and now we're on part two. And I, what I'd like to do is to kind of do a recap, just for a minute here, a recap of part one. Okay, we began by defining temptation. By defining temptation. Temptation is pursuing or fulfilling what might be a legitimate need, but doing it in an illegitimate way. So pursuing and fulfilling what might be a legitimate need that we have, but doing it in an illegitimate way. There is nothing wrong with you wanting a promotion at work. Trying to get a promotion at work. But if you try to get that promotion by lying and manipulating your way there, then you have fallen into temptation. And we looked at Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. It says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these, tell this bread, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. And then we walk through the first two temptations that Jesus went through, and we ended up in verse 8. In verse 8 it says, Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. And I can imagine this scene as I was kind of reading through this and studying. I can imagine this scene. Having the devil say to Jesus when Jesus finished up that is written, saying, hey, we're not talking about service here. We're not talking about serving. We're talking about worship. And Jesus responded being, hey, listen, dopey. The one you serve is the one you worship. And Jesus would confront him as, as Satan tried to tempt him. It's very interesting if you think about, the Bible talks about, you got Adam and Eve, right? Adam's the first Adam, and Jesus the second Adam. Satan comes along and tempts the first Adam, causes him to fall, and we have what we have. And now he's trying again to tempt the second Adam. But he's not doing very well here, because Jesus is not only fully God, he's fully man, but he's also fully God. Now, I don't know how the devil did this, but he took Jesus to a point and he said, it says he showed them the kingdoms of the earth. And he said to him, all of these things I'm going to give to you if you will just bow down and worship me. It'll all be yours. You can have them all. It's interesting that the devil understood Psalm 2 very, very well. In Psalm 2, God says to his son, he says this, I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession. Okay, so that's what God the Father said to the son, Psalm chapter 2. And so Satan knew this, and so he's basically he's offering this up to Jesus. Here's the, here's the interesting thing. 
Satan, okay, basically is tempting Jesus to take a shortcut. Right? He's tempting Jesus to take a shortcut. What you need to do here, Jesus, is just skip this whole cross thing. Skip this whole purpose thing. Like you, your life has a purpose. There's meaning and you're going to do these things and you're the Messiah. Just skip all of, skip all of that. Skip all of that. Worship me and I'll give them to you right now. You don't have to think about the future. Don't worry about the future. What might happen in the future. What you might do in the future. I can give you, okay, I'll fulfill that prophecy. I'll give it to you right now. Look at all of this. I will give it to you right now. And I was thinking through this, this past, this week as I was studying, how many of us are tempted by evil Okay, and basically skip our purpose in life. We skip it. We skip our destiny, if you will, by believing his lies. How many of us have been called to something so much more and so, so much more significant, but we skip it? Okay, and we're ending up where we are right now, which is not the end. You can get back on the path, but you're skipping the purpose and the, and the, 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 the desire that God has for your life. He created you. He designed you. He has a purpose. And the enemy comes along and basically says, listen, I'll give you what you, I'll give you what you desire right now. Skip all. Don't worry about the future. And what God has for you. Don't worry about God's ultimate plan because I've got a plan and here it is and I'll give it to you right now. And it's the right now that trips so many of us up. We want it right now. He's saying to Jesus, your future, ah, there's too much pain involved. There's too much suffering. There's, there's too much stress. There's too much anxiety. There, there's too much worry. There's too much all of this. Just don't, just let, let, let all of those things go. You can have it now just by worshiping me. You don't have to go through all the things you're going to go through. Just worship me. If Jesus had given in to this temptation, he would not have redeemed the world he would just have become a part of it. If he had given in, he would not have redeemed the world. He would just have become a part of it. There would be no salvation. Okay? Amazing grace. There would be no amazing grace. There would be no purpose. There would be no hope in this life for those living here. If Jesus would have given in, if the, if the second Adam did what the first Adam did, there would be no salvation, there would be no hope, there would be no purpose. In the same way, Satan says to every single one of us, you can have it now. You don't have to wait. You, you, don't, you don't have to wait. Forget, forget about tomorrow. Forget about God's purpose. Just forget. You can have it now. You can have it right now. So many people in this life, as I've watched... Try to take shortcuts through life. They try to take shortcuts. They try to take shortcuts to their financial future, to financial success. I mean, how many people's financial plan for the future is, I hope I hit the lottery? Not thinking through, they take a short, they want to take a the shortcut is, I'm just gonna, man, I, that's my financial plan. I hope someone either leaves me a whole lot or I hit the lottery and that's my plan. They take, they take the, they take the shortcut when it comes to relationships. Feels good, do it. Right? They take, they take, they take shortcuts to fulfilling, 
to life's fulfillment, if you will. They, 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 they know that there's something there that God wants for them, but they take shortcuts trying to get there. And it's Satan speaking into our hearts and robbing us of what God could truly do in those relationships, in that process of, of gaining that wealth or gaining, I'm not talking health or wealth, I'm just talking about finan- financially what the Bible would say. How you, how you, how you are successful financially. We take shortcuts to it. And we end up in really, really difficult places. I call them little fixes. Let me give you an example. You have a bad day or you have a bad week and so what you do is you run out and you go to a really expensive restaurant or you buy some new clothes or you, or you do something where it meets that desire in your heart right now. It's that desire right now and so you do it even if you can't afford it. You just run out and do it. You don't think about what you can and cannot afford. You're feeling this way. You want to feel better. And Satan goes, you deserve it. And so you run out and you spend money on this. I know people from my past who've run themselves into $175,000 worth of debt just doing things like that. Because, oh, they just they just needed that vacation. You know what I mean? And then they just put it on. And they, they just needed to go to this restaurant. They needed to eat out. They just want to feel good. And constantly doing that until they were $175,000 in debt. Then what do you do? Now you're, now, you're, now you're bound. Now you're chained. And Satan says, just, you, you deserve it. Do it now. Skip over all the discipline. Don't worry about any of that stuff. The little fixes. People will sacrifice They will sacrifice long-term peace, long-term contentment. They they will sacrifice life's necessities for short-term gain, for short-term fulfillment, short-term pleasure. Little little fixes. Satan whispers things like, ah, don't worry, you you really need this. You really do. The rent, oh, don't worry about the rent or the mortgage. Don't, don't, don't worry about the, the, the paying your whatever. Don't worry about, you know, don't worry about saving for, for you know, for emergencies. Those, it, it'll all work out for you. And then you get down that road and you find yourself in a place and you're wondering, how did I get here? Shortcuts. Need it now. I need it now. I need my desires, my urges fulfilled right now. Now, that's one group of people. That's sometimes how they think. And all of us think that way sometimes. Okay. And now let me tell you, if you're in a position you can do it, there's nothing wrong with having a bad week and going and do something nice for yourself, right? Treat yourself, right? Okay. But not if it's going to cost you. Not if it's consistent, okay, and lacks discipline and it's going to cost you. Then you have something else that goes on. And I need to say something that may not feel good to a lot of people, all right? And it's, I'm talking more sometimes spiritually mature people. It doesn't always feel good, but here's the reality. For some people, following the will, following the will of God may feel like you're in a desert during different seasons of your life. It did for Jesus. You think, well, if I follow the will of God, what you're telling me, Pastor, is if I follow the will of God, then, then everything's going to work out and things are going to be great and I'm going to be blessed and everything. That's not what I'm saying. Sometimes you're following the will of God and you end up in the desert. You end up in dry seasons of your life. Sometimes that's the way it works out. 
It's not always, I do this. This is what frustrates a lot of Christians sometimes who are older. Wait, I did this. I read and I did this. And I, I was supposed to turn out this way. In your mind, that's what you had down. If I do this, it's almost like if I'm a good kid, God, I'm going to get a cookie. The cookie, seriously? Sometimes you get a cookie a year from now. Not right then. And sometimes you are in the will of God doing the right thing and you don't get what you expect because in your mind, I do this and I get that. That's not how it works. And I know that's difficult. Sometimes you are doing the will of God, but you end up in the desert. But it's better for you to be in the desert without food, okay? It's better for you to be in the desert hungry where there's endless sand, if you will, and you can't see the horizon. You're looking for the oasis. Where's the oasis? It just looks like sand and sand and sand. But it's better for you to be in that situation than to fulfill your desires in an illegitimate way. Than to fill your desires in a way that is outside the will of God. Here's what happens. We are so caught up in the immediate. And it's, it's really rough on this culture on the younger ones, okay? For, for if you're a little older, you realize you, you have to wait for certain things. You have to wait for rewards sometimes. This culture is changing. It has changed. And it's the immediate. And here's, here's, here's the problem. In our lives, Satan takes like a year or three years or five years or a little more and he turns them into eternity. He makes one or five or ten years feel like an eternity and he turns right around and he makes eternity feel like it's insignificant. What are you waiting for? Eternity? That's like way years, you know. It's like that's insignificant, but what is really significant, what is makes he what he makes feel makes you feel like is eternity is oh man, I can't wait that long. A year? I gotta wait a year? I gotta wait three years in order to get this? Man, I'm sixteen years old. I've been lit oh it's been forever for me. I'm waiting five more years, it's like where do the percentage of my life? That's forever. Why would I do that when I can what, right? Jesus, I show you, you can have it right now. That's what he said to Jesus in the desert. You don't have to, you have, you have legitimate desires, you're hungry, right? When we talked about this last week, you have a legitimate desire of hunger. God loved you, why would you be hungry? If God loved you, why would he want you to wait to do this, or wait to do that, or wait to have this, or wait to have that, or wait to get the house, or wait to get the car? If God loved you, why wouldn't he give it to you right now? Jesus, why are you hungry? That's a legitimate need that Jesus had. And what Satan was asking him to do was to fix it, was to solve it in an illegitimate way. Nothing wrong with being hungry. Nothing wrong with wanting to have sex. Nothing wrong with wanting to own a, you know, a nice home. Nothing wrong with the, there's nothing wrong with a lot of pleasures that God offers us in this life. Timing. And Satan's going, get that, man. Get it now. Get yours and have it now. Why wait? Look at the fun that everybody else in this world is having except for you. And he whispers to you, don't you deserve it? Don't you deserve that new? Don't you deserve to have that experience? Don't you deserve it? Man, you've been through so much. We need to realize that it's better to have nothing. It is better to have absolutely nothing. Nothing. In the desert, but be in the will of God than to be in paradise and outside of the will of God. 
Better to have nothing and be in the desert for a season of your life than to be in paradise, if you will, but be outside of the will of God. Because it only looks like paradise and it's a trap. And that trap will spring on you and your life will never be the same. In in Psalm 84.10, we were singing at the very end. It says this, Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. I'd rather live as a doorkeeper in the house of my God for a season of my life or for my entire life than to dwell in the house of the wicked. Because at the end of the day, not only if you dwell in the house of the wicked, not only if you do things that are opposite of what God calls you to do, not only if you're sinning against God, will you lose it here on earth? Will you not get, you will not have the desires of your heart filled. You will not. It is a lie. It is a trap. So you won't have it here. The momentary pleasure, urges, whatever, you won't, you won't have it ultimately here and now you've lost it for eternity if you don't have that relationship with Christ. And that's what Satan wants. That's what he wants. The person who chooses now, the person who has no self-discipline, this is what Satan draws on. The person who has no self-discipline now and he chooses now over eternity, watch it. They watch their hopes fade as their desires, okay, as their desires master them. And they, begin, they realize down the road, they're a few years down the road saying, how did I get here? Look at someone who's addicted to whatever. They're asking, how did I get here? And all the consequences of their choices now come due. See, what, what the enemy doesn't tell you is that something that our country and that people in our country and the people around the world sometimes don't realize that you are going to pay the piper. Amen. You think you're going to get away with something. You think it's whatever. Be sure your sin will find you out, but you are going to pay the piper. It will come back. It will, it will come back and bite you and bite you hard. Because what is the enemy's plan? To destroy your life. Offer you something that looks like it's going to be great and then flip it upside down and it destroys your life. They have sacrificed their future because they want it now. These people sacrifice their future because they want it now. Some people really need to hear this this morning. This is so important because you're on the verge right now, this morning. You're sitting and you're thinking, okay, and you're going to have to make a decision. You're on the verge of making a decision that's sinful or foolish, okay, but you're, you're, you, you, you've got to hold on to this sinful or foolish because you think, I have desires and I need to fulfill them now. And my answer to that is, no, you don't. I have these desires. I've been, I feel, I feel, I feel, I have desires, and you want it now. And I'm saying, no, you don't need it now. If, that, if it's sinful and it's irresponsible, you don't need it now. Jesus proved that you don't need it now. He, that's what we're talking about in this series, right? The idea is we want to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. I'm, I'm always saying, walk like Jesus. You want to grow to become more like Jesus. The question is, how did Jesus live? This is how Jesus lived. And he's telling you, no, you don't he's setting an example for us to follow 40 days he's in the desert he's hungry the enemy comes and tempts him the first adam bupkis right lost it the second adam standing up giving an example for us to follow 
Hold on. You don't. Just because you have a desire, just because you feel like you have a need, just because you feel doesn't mean you have to act on that feeling. He teaches us that we need to be faithful even when we're in the dry seasons of our lives. You say, this isn't fair. This isn't right. It's a season. Don't throw your life away. Don't make decisions that are going to profoundly affect your life because you're in a season. As a matter of fact, these seasons of life, the difficult parts, are sometimes the best parts of your life. It's where you grow the most. It's where God moves in you the most. It's where you look back and say, it was at that point that I made this decision when life was really difficult. And now you're in a place, you're like, I would have never been here if it wasn't for that. God can use those, God uses those desert experiences, He uses those dry seasons to help us become the person that we were designed and created to be, to fulfill our purpose, and Satan wants you to come along and skip over that, of course. So you skip over the hard parts, you skip over the the challenges, you skip over and you don't overcome, and you skip over and you end up in a place where you're mushy and have no spine, you're not strong, you're spiritually weak, you're emotionally, you're emotionally immature, you're spiritually immature, and you're down that road, and you're just a, you're just a, you're, you're the prey. You're the prey. You're easy prey. The lion walking around seeking whom he may devour. You know the lion doesn't devour? The strong. Remember David when he was going to fight Goliath? They said, no, you can't do that. He said, hey, I've taken on lions and bears. I can handle this. I've been through the desert. I've been through those battles. I've overcome those things. This guy, off with his head. This is going to be simple. David... Wasn't the one shaking in his boots. Goliath should have been the one shaking his boots because David was a man who'd taken on the battles of life. He has overcome and he was ready for this next battle. We need to be the same way. We need to be the same way. People use their sexuality and they use their genetic predispositions. They use their past to act out and sin against God. And what God is saying is, no, I want you to use those those struggles that you may face in your life throughout your life I want you to use those struggles to bring glory to me when as you overcome those struggles you bring glory to God that's the goal of life the goal of life is to glorify God not to sin against him the goal of life is as we glorify God we grow in spiritual maturity we learn spiritual and emotional discipline we conform to the image of Jesus Christ we become the person that we were created to be we are being sanctified onward we're constantly being sanctified and growing so when we face the giants when we face the lions when we face the difficulty we can face them with power in conviction And strength that comes from the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he's saying, skip all that. It'll work out for you. Don't worry about the future. Don't, it's, it's Phil. Yeah, that pastor talking, sure. But you know how much anguish you go through? You know how much struggle you're going to face? You know how hungry you're going to be? You know how much need you're going to have? You know how difficult it's going to be? You, you can't. Man, you're so beat up. You try to take his path. You'll end up in a ball somewhere. And the reality is, if you don't take this path, you'll end up in a ball somewhere. Because Christ is sufficient. 
Christ is sufficient. Not anything else that enemy has to offer. Only Christ is sufficient. You know, it's amazing. It's amazing. When I tell people not to act out on their urges and their desires and everything, honestly, in this culture, they look at me like I have two heads. They say, well, I have this feeling. I feel it's like my identity and I have and I got to act out on this. No, you don't. What do you mean I don't? Here's how I feel. I was watching Star Wars. I just, not the whole movie, but I was clicking through and I saw the first Star Wars. I love Star Wars, so I'm not picking on Star Wars, okay? Love going to movies, that kind of thing. But I'm watching it. Luke's, Luke's at the Death Star, right? He's, he got down in that little crevice thing and, and he's flying and all of a sudden, Obi-Wan Kenobi, who's gone, his voice starts speaking to Luke. He said, Luke, trust your feelings. You're like, yeah, trust your feelings. That's great in Star Wars. Bad in real life. Okay, not a good idea. Trust. That's what that's what the enemy says. Trust your feelings. Trust your feelings. You are. This is the way you feel. You got to act out on those things. You tell people not to, and they're like, "That's impossible." Is it really impossible? Is it really that? Is guys, come on. Is it really that impossible? In this culture, it's like it's like almost cruelty to tell people not to act out on how they feel all the time. We exist. To glorify God, not to fulfill our urges. We exist to bring honor to Jesus Christ, not to act on, out on our desires. We find, as believers in Jesus Christ, your identity is in Christ alone. Not in your sexuality, not in your, your, your genetic predispositions, not in your feelings, not on what you think this season of your life. Your identity, your identity, your whole identity and only identity is found in Jesus Christ. He is sufficient. He will bring you to the place you need to be. His plan is perfect. Every other plan will lead you into a hole, into misery, and into suffering. It may feel good for the moment, like every addiction. Think about it. Every addiction. I don't care what addiction it is. It starts out by, oh, this is going to make you feel so good. And you know what? The first two, one or two times, maybe you do. But like I said a couple weeks ago, When you get down the road a little bit, you're no longer doing it because it makes you feel good. You're doing it so you don't feel what? Bad. You have to do it so you don't feel bad. And it's like, what a trap. What a trap. What a trap. So... You may look at me like I'm crazy when I tell you, stop, don't, you don't have to act out. You can glorify God. You can overcome it and glorify God when you don't act out on it. See, for, here's the thing. People say, you don't understand where my background. For every story of hard, every hardship story you can tell me for why you're choosing to take the wrong path, I will tell you a story three times as bad as a story you're telling me about a person who chose to take the right path. Who chose to glorify God through their affliction. Who chose to glorify God through their difficulty. Who chose not to make excuses, okay, for why they're sinning against God, but said, this was unbelievably difficult. I'm going to use this to invest in the lives of other people so they don't have to make the same mistakes, or I can help them get through what someone else has done to them. But through it all, I'm going to glorify God. For every story you can tell me, for an excuse for why you're doing what you're doing, I can give you a story that's three or four or five times worse where a person has chosen the opposite of what other people choose. In Jeremiah 6.16 it says, This is what the Lord says. 
Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it. And you will find what? Rest for your souls. Peace, joy, contentment comes from God. Cannot be given by the enemy. But you said, we will not walk in it. So here's the question as we close off here, as we kind of keep going here. Um, how do we overcome temptation? Like, how do we do it? The good news is you can overcome temptation. All right. Here, let me tell you some real good news first before I get into that. Here's the great, the great news. When Jesus Christ died on the cross and I asked him to come into my life, his blood covered me from my sin. So I'm perfect in standing with God. Done. It's over. Battle won. I'm perfect right now in standing with God. Why? He doesn't see me. He sees the son, Jesus Christ. So one for me. Second, okay, second way we overcome temptation, where we win, we win. I'm going along, and I'm on the path, and I go off the path. Oh, man, and I'm sincerely regretting it. I'm sincerely, I I want forgiveness for my sin. I ask God to forgive me for my sin. God forgives me, puts me right back here. I keep going. I've been forgiven as far as the east is from the west. So even when I sin, boom, two for me. Because when I ask forgiveness, God forgives me and I move on. Because that's the way I'm under the blood of Christ. In Jesus' name, I ask forgiveness. I'm forgiven. So that's two for me. And now, the third, okay? How do we overcome temptation? I'm going to look at three ways that Jesus teaches us here to overcome temptation. Okay, three ways. First, we do what Jesus actually did. We do what Jesus did. We know, we study, we use the power of God's word. I'm going to keep pounding away at this. You need to study. You need to read the word. All right. You need to study the word. You need to dig into the word because you're not going to find the treasures that God has for you. You say, well, I don't have the strength. I don't have the power. I don't have the knowledge. I don't have to overcome this temptation I'm facing. I agree with you. I agree. But it's there. You need to dig deeper to find the treasure. It's there. Remember we talked about a couple of, a couple of months ago? We talked about how you're supposed to. When Christ died and he sent the Holy Spirit, you not only have Christ, but now you have the Holy Spirit living in you. So the Christ dwells in you. The Holy Spirit's indwelling you. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. We have the power to overcome. We have the strength to overcome. Not in ourselves, but because of what Christ did for us. But we have to mine it out. That was the Greek word to mine to to mine it out. We got to mine it out. We got to dig deep and find it's there. The strength that to overcome what you're facing is there. You have to mine it out. How do you do that? Reading the Word of God, digging a little deeper. I'm no expert on video games. Okay, I'm not. I don't really play any of them. So if I if I if you guys think, oh, he doesn't even know what he's talking about, forgive me. But from what I know of watching people play video games. It works something like this. You're at level one, right? And you're going around and you have the enemy and, it get, and the enemy gets worse and worse as, as they go up. But what you want to do is you want to get to the next level. You want to get to that next level because then you'll get more weapons to fight the enemy. You get more weapons to fight the battle that are, battles that are coming. Am I correct on that? Am I off? Right? You, you, you do something and you get more, like little, those little coins or whatever, they come into your 
backpack or whatever it is, or you're running around and you get and you gain this and you can build this and you can find the enemy, but you gain more weapons in order to battle the enemy at the next level. That's what we're talking about here. The more you dig, the more you mine out what God has already placed in you. When you gave when you gave your life to Jesus Christ, He gave you what you need to win the battle. You're just not drawing on it. You're walking on the surface and you're going, this isn't working. Christianity doesn't work. As your Bible gathers dust on the shelf and once in a while you read it, but you don't really exactly know what that actually means because you don't study it and you're not digging down. Try that in the video game. See how long you last. Go to level five, okay, with no knowledge whatsoever and find out how long you're going to last. We need to dig down. Then once you know the truth, once you've studied, once you, once you know the truth, you need to live it out. When we are under, you live it out and you're under the authority, okay, of the word. Once you're under the authority of the word, you can express and experience the power, okay? You can exercise the power of the word. That's what Jesus was doing obviously he's fully man but he's fully god all right so he's not confused what the word of god says he wrote it and that's what he does he exercises the power of the word of god jesus jesus had the word of god in his heart and he was able to say be gone okay for it is written be gone hits the battle strategy he spoke the word of truth be gone for it is written in Luke chapter in Luke chapter 4 verse 13 telling the same story but it's in the book of Luke instead of Matthew it says that the devil left Jesus and don't don't miss this part okay waiting for a more opportune time interesting huh he left him waiting for, Jesus said, be gone, be gone. It is written, be gone. Had to go, okay, because who has authority here? Jesus does, fully God, fully man. Be gone, for it is written. And then it says, Satan left, waiting for a more opportune time. My friends, you can have the power, you can have the strength, and you can call out in the name of Jesus, and you can have that, that warrior, and you tell the enemy to be gone, and you've won that battle, you've overcome that temptation, you didn't fall into it this time. But you know what you don't want to do? Let your guard down, because he'll be back. Right? He will be back. You can't let your guard down. Because he waited, he says in, in Luke 4.13, he waited for a more opportune time. Don't drop your guard. Second, you need to overcome the temptation. You can overcome temptation through the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Through the power of his resurrection. When Jesus, okay, when Jesus died and rose from the grave, he won. The rest is just details. I know it doesn't feel like details in our lives, but honestly, the battle has been won. That's what I was saying before. You've got to think through this whole thing. You're under the blood of Christ, so you're perfect in standing with God. You can never be more perfect in God's eyes right now, okay? 20 years from now, you're, you can't be any more perfect in God's eyes than you are right now. Why? Because you're covered with the blood of Christ. Now God says, now live like my son. You live like his son. You make a mistake. You ask for forgiveness, put you back on the path. They, we've won. The bat, it's won. It's over. The battle's over. He crushed the enemy here. 
In Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, it says, And having disarmed the powers and authorities, disarmed them with what I just described to you, he made a public spectacle of them. How? By triumphing them over them by the cross. He triumphed over them by the cross. Everything I just described to you, when he died and rose again, he triumphed over them by the cross. Made a public spectacle of them. The battle's over. The war is over. The battles are still raging, but the war is over. Don't be discouraged when you fall short. Ask for forgiveness and you move on and you continue to grow. And that's what it actually says in the Greek here. It says he disarmed them and he disarmed them. It says basically in the Greek, it means to render them neutral. Now, I know some of you are thinking right now, well, I'm going to tell you something. The enemy doesn't feel neutral in my life sometimes when I'm when I'm getting hit. It doesn't feel neutral in my life. Satan may be free to cause you trouble, all right? I understand that. But his end is absolutely certain. If you're in Christ, so is yours. Satan's end is absolutely certain. And if you're in Christ, if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, so is yours. You can fall short and you can fall down and you can stumble and God will continually put you back on the path and back on the path and five years from now, ten years from now, fifteen years from now, the things you struggle with now, you most likely will not be struggling with then and if you are, it will be less because you're continuing to be conformed to the image of Christ. Sanctification. Justification is when you got that blood covers me, I am in Christ. Sanctification now, that's a one-time event. Justification is a one-time event. Sanctification, ongoing process throughout my whole life. When I get to the end of my life, I breathe my last, I get a glorified body, and I'm perfect in Jesus Christ. It's done. You have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. It's over. Be encouraged by that. We need to be, we need to truly be encouraged by that. You know, we just went through Easter. When Jesus Christ rose from the dead, he basically annihilated the enemy. And the thing is, what you need to do, what you and I need to do, is we need to be convinced. What I just described to you theologically, you need to be convinced of that today. You need to believe it. And honestly, you need to act on it so that you can fight back from a position of strength. Because it'll be a lot easier if you get the attitude of who you are, you know who you are, and you fight from a position of strength. You fight from a theological position of strength. What Satan wants to do is when you fall and you make a mistake and you go off the path, he wants to keep you over here by making you feel condemned. And what the Holy Spirit will do is convict you here, okay? The Holy Spirit convicts you, you ask for forgiveness, and you move on. And I said this, I will say it over and over again. You move on and you say, well, I don't feel, I don't feel, I don't feel, I still feel bad. Let your feelings catch up to you. Feelings aren't truth. Truth is truth. God says you're forgiven, move on. You don't feel it, that's not my problem, that's not God's problem, that's your problem. Move on and let your feelings catch up to you. Does that make sense? Let your feelings catch up to you. Stop living on your feelings. Number three, we overcome through the power of the body of Christ. I've been studying this and I'm telling you, we need to dig deeper into what it means to be a part of the body of Christ because we are just scratching the surface It is so easy for you to fall into temptation, for me to fall into temptation. It is so difficult for us sometimes to to break free and get out of it alone. It's easy to fall into temptation alone. It is extremely difficult to get out of some of the circumstances that we find ourselves in because of those temptations alone. There are certain habits 
There are certain sins. There are, there are certain addictions, if you will, where we need the help of other people to overcome them. We can't do, we can't do this alone. You cannot do this alone. You need the body of Christ. Because we, we just need, we need, we, I was talking about life groups and we need each other. We need each other. We need to pray for each other. We need, we need accountability for each other, to each other. You need accountability. You need the strength of the body of Christ because the things that you guys are facing are intense. These battles, these skirmishes that we still have to fight, they're intense. Okay, they're not simple. They're not easy. They're intense. And I'm going to tell you, I love this analogy. But you've ever watched the, 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 the natural, National Geographic channel, whatever. You know who gets eaten by the wolves or the coyotes or the lions or the whoever's? You know who gets eaten? The dude who's all by himself. Right? I'm going to go eat grass over here by myself. And you can just hear the announcer. And the dumb wildebeest was over there by I mean, it's like, you know what I'm saying? And it doesn't matter how big the animal is. I was watching one just like two days ago. And he's these gigantic buffaloes or whatever. And there's, you know, they're wolves. They're a dog. For goodness sake, the buffalo is like gigantic. See what happens when that buffalo goes off by himself. We need each other. We need the body of Christ because the warfare is intense. Okay, I'm going to close with just a thought I want to run by you. Because this is really important. And as we make these decisions, as we choose how we're going to fight these battles, this is really, really important. Question, did Satan have the power, okay, to offer Jesus what he was offering him? He said, he got Jesus on a high mountaintop and he said, look, look, at, uh, I will give you all the king. If you worship me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world, right? The question is, does Satan have the authority... Does Satan have the right to offer the kingdoms of the world to Jesus? And the answer is no, only God has that right. So you say, why would you bring that up? What's the point of bringing that up? Well, let me, ask, let me tell you something. Here, in reality, when it comes to temptation, the enemy exaggerates the value that they have to offer. When it comes to temptation, the enemy is exaggerating, okay, the value or, or what they have to actually offer. They don't, they're lying, the enemy lies. Lying is a part of the nature of our enemy, okay? So they don't have, they don't have what they're actually offering. They're exaggerating the value what they have to actually give you. He comes to you and he says this. If you do this, or if you, tr- if you try that, I promise I'll fulfill all of your desires. If you do this, if you try this, if you do that, I will, I, I will give you the, I will, I promise you, I'll give you the longings of your heart. I believe in, I believe with all of my heart that Satan comes to every person or the enemy comes to every person in their lives and says to musicians, to writers, to business people and says, if you do this, I will give you. I will give you. Why do you think people with the most money sometimes and who've reached the pinnacle of their careers end up dead in bathtubs with overdoses? How many people can you think of who ended up alone and dead in their bathroom from overdoses and they were the king of everything? Promises one thing, delivers something totally different. 
sleep with that guy or that girl, I promise you, I promise you they're going to love you if you do. I promise. You've had this desire. You want someone to love you. If you just sleep with this person, they're going to love you. I'll tell you what they'll do. They'll complete you. Right? They'll complete you. If you sleep with them, you'll feel more valuable. You, they'll, that's your longing for value. Just do this with this or whatever else. And this is going to bring you the value that you've always longed for. Drink this or take that. I promise you, all of your problems, just take it, drink it, do this, whatever. All of your problems are just going to fade. They're going to fade away. Ah, oh, you'll finally have the relief that you've longed for. You, you know, you can sing all your funny little cute songs about Jesus being sufficient and all that kind of thing. But let me tell you something. Just do this, okay? And all your problems are going to fade away. The true enjoyments, true enjoyments and pleasures of life are not there for the enemy to offer. Can't offer them. Doesn't have them. Has no authority to give them. But that's what's being offered to you. And that's the lie. The enemy's goal is to tempt you, to then trap you, to lie to you in order to kill you physically or destroy your life completely here on earth. So you become completely neutral, if you will, when it comes to the battle and what God is calling you to do. Take away your purpose, take away the meaning for your existence and just keep you neutral by offering you something that cannot be offered and basically can be offered but cannot be followed through with. It is only God, my friends, only God can bring you peace, joy and contentment. And I'll use the word happiness. Only God, only God can bring true happiness. Satan's power is a joke compared to God's. We think, I think we, I think we make some, sometimes we make the, the enemy too big and our God too small, don't we? I mean, think about it. We make, we make the enemy like overwhelming. I can't overcome this temptation. What am I going to do? Oh, I can't. We make the enemy too big. We make our God too small. We give the enemy too much credit. We give the enemy too much authority when they don't deserve the authority. Is the enemy powerful? Yes, the enemy is powerful. Yeah, I agree with that. But is the, the enemy, the power of the enemy is limited to, by the sovereignty of God, by the, by the, by the power of God, by, by the promises of God, by the purposes of God, by the authority of God. The enemy's power is limited by the sovereignty of God. And we have the, the, the sovereignty of God. We have God living in us, dwelling in us. This is now the temple. And we we somehow we act like we're some kind of victims, okay, or the prey, when in actuality we're victors and we are the predators here. And we got to think that through. In 1 Corinthians 10, 13, it tells us, No temptation has overtaken you except that which is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. That's where that comes from, okay? That's misquoted. God won't let you give you more than you can handle. That's not true. This is. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, He will always provide a way out so that you can endure it. You have to remember, I have to remember who I am and whose I am. I gotta remember who I am. 
when I'm in a battle with the enemy, I have to remember who I am. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, it says, But you are a, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's, listen, God's special possession, that you may declare the praise of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Here's what I'd like to do. Let's finish off this service. By coming forward, everybody come up here. I want to sing this last song, and I want you to sing it with all that you have in your heart. Come on up. I want you to sing this song together, remembering who we are and whose we are as we leave this place.